The biggest fraud is the Dominion machines. And at 11.15 on election night, our great president, Next because of Mike, everything Mike, I, don't, I don't want to discuss. Mike, Mike, <laughs> we're not, we're not going to get into the minutiae of the details. No, they don't want to talk about Dominion. Not anymore. Not on Newsmax. For some reason. Go figure. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hello. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York, on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, and yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst others, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Desi Doyen. Hey. Was it Ferris Bueller's day off when uh, Matthew Broderick, I think, is sitting in class. He's waiting for the bell to ring at 3 p.m., looking at the clock, and it's like 2.59, and then all of a sudden the minute hand actually moves backwards. <laughs> yes, I think that's it. Was that Ferris? Uh, anyway, that's kind of how I feel today. 29 days until Inauguration Day on January 20th, though it feels like the minute hand keeps moving backwards. I know. It's weird that way. The fewer days it becomes, the more days it seems like. Anyway, uh, 15 days until Joe Biden's Electoral College, quote, landslide defeat of Donald Trump. I am quoting Donald Trump there. Uh, until that will be affirmed or not by Congress on January 6th, which, which is shaping up to be one hell of an insane day in the middle of one hell of an insane presidency. Mark it down. January 6th in Congress. Should be fun. Mm. Uh, so that's 15 days from now. 14 days from now uh, is the final day for Georgians to cast their critical votes in the two states' critical U.S. Senate runoffs, uh, which are now ongoing with early voting underway. Those two Senate races will determine control of the U.S. Senate. Partisan control for the next two years could not be more important. 
Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, breaking news from out here in uh, California today, uh, which affects the whole nation, has at least for today uh, sidelined my plans to talk about what everyone in Washington, D.C. right now is apparently freaking out about uh, regarding the increasingly deranged behavior right now uh, of the president of the United States during his last, what, 29 days in office and the concerns about what he might do that is not only freaking out a lot of longtime Trumpers, actual Trumpers inside the White House, but yes, even folks in the Pentagon. At this point, I know this is being covered a lot today. It's basically all I saw. So I was going to ring in on it a bit. Uh, but because of this other news, we're going to have to put this off. But just to give you a quick idea about what so many are concerned about, hope, hopefully I'll get to some of these details tomorrow. But here's CNN's Pentagon correspondent, Barbara Starr, talking about the concerns regarding Trump's mental condition right now uh, over at the Department of Defense. We don't know what he might do. This is their commander in chief, and they are concerned. The concern is very clear that the president might decide to use troops, the military, somehow in his effort to overturn the election. The immediate question, of course, would be how is any of this legal? But setting legality aside, why are they so concerned? Well, you know, Mike Flynn, the fired uh, national security advisor, former three-star army general, has now spoken publicly about using martial law, the prospect of it, and he has now met with the president. This is something that is getting quite noticed around military circles. Yeah, so that's troubling. Indeed, that's concerning. Yeah. She says setting legal concerns aside, yes, that's know. what Trump does every day. Exactly. So You're, just because something might be illegal doesn't mean he won't try it. Set him aside. Yeah, exactly. So a, a, a very creepy, scary moment right now in uh, in D.C. As I said, maybe we'll get to some of this tomorrow because we've got some wildly unsurprising news of a sort. But some news that I, I think I need to ring in on from out here in California with a unique perspective. As I say, it's not particularly surprising, but it is nonetheless disappointing news from the state of California today that I, I want to offer a bit of context uh, on as folks around the country have been asking me about this. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced today that he has chosen the state's secretary of state, Alex Padilla to fill the U.S. Senate seat that is being vacated by Kamala Harris, who will be sworn in as vice president next month. Padilla will be the first Latino senator to represent the state. That part is good news, I guess. Newsom said that Padilla, a Democrat whose parents were Mexican immigrants, had worked his way up from humble beginnings to the halls of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the Los Angeles City Council, and then the state Senate. Now he will serve in the halls of our nation's capital as California's next U.S. senator, the first Latino to hold this office, says Newsom in his statement. The 47-year-old Padilla said in his own statement that he was, quote, honored and humbled by Newsom's decision. 
as well he should be. Padilla has served as California's twice-elected Secretary of State since 2015. He was considered by many Democrats in the state a, to be a shoe in for this job for some reason. Apparently, he and Newsom have known each other for decades. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the state's senior senator, also publicly said this month that she wanted the governor to choose Padilla. And with a recommendation like that, but I digress, uh, two black women uh, in the U.S. House, Karen Bass and Barbara Lee, were also considered. Some black civil rights leaders had urged Newsom to choose one of them, uh, as there will be no black female senators once Harris moves to the White House. I would have been delighted uh, to see either uh, Bass or particularly Barbara Lee, who I kind of feel like she deserves it. But totally. anyway, I would have been delighted to see either of them named. I would have also, as I've previously noted, loved to see the fierce Congresswoman Katie Porter, who is white. But uh, she's I would have loved to have seen her representing California in the U.S. Senate. Alas, Democrats will hold only a four vote majority at this time in the U.S. House when the new Congress is sworn in on January 3. And Joe Biden has already tapped three Democratic members of the House to join his administration, which means that for a time as uh, special elections will be happening, we may see Democrats holding a single quite precarious one vote uh, uh, majority in the U.S. House. So pulling any more Democrats at this point out of the House for now, uh, I suspect was off the table in Gavin Newsom's uh, consideration here. In announcing Padilla's appointment today, uh, uh, Padilla noted, uh, I'm sorry, Newsom noted some of Padilla's accomplishments in California as a state senator, noting that in 2006, Padilla was elected to the state Senate to represent more than a million people in the San Fernando Valley. As a state senator, he would go on to author more than 70 bills signed into law by both Republican and Democratic governors. Over his two terms, Padilla passed major legislation to, for example, fight climate change. He, uh, he passed landmark legislation increasing renewable energy standards, expanding green manufacturing and solar power, developed clean fuels and modernizing the electrical grid. Something that uh, Desi Doyen, you may or may not uh, know or like about Padilla. Hey, I don't know. I'm in favor of anybody pushing forward those goals. Uh, according to uh, Newsom, he also expanded educational opportunities, passing bills, bridging the digital divide and expanding college access, helping English language learners and protecting student athletes. He fought for universal health care, stopping tobacco sales to minors, fighting diabetes and obesity, expanding patient protections and improving food safety. He passed common sense gun safety measures like tracking stolen guns and stopping felons from possessing body armor. Uh, also, as an engineer himself, he fought for the ethical advancement of science and technology, authored legislation protecting Californians from discrimination based on genetic information, and wrote the bill creating a statewide earthquake early warning system, which I don't know if it works yet or not. They're still working on the bugs. Yeah, I guess they are. But it does kind of work. Okay. And then there is his record as Secretary of State, which uh, is described by Newsom this way. 
Uh, since taking office, Secretary of State Padilla worked to make California elections more accessible and inclusive while fighting to protect the integrity of our voting system, says uh, Newsom. He, uh, quote, registered over 22 million voters under his leadership. Voter registration is at an all-time high. Over 22 million Californias, uh, Californians are registered to vote. Don't know if it's fair to say that Padilla registered 22 million, <laughs> but there were 22 million that are registered under his... Uh, his tenure. His tenure, yes. Uh, it's actually an increase of more than 4 million from the day that he took office. It's the highest rate in nearly seven decades. Uh, but, of course, that is also due in no small part to automatic voter registration that kicked in recently. But, okay, uh, resigna- uh, uh, registration is is up. That's a good thing. He expanded access to the ballot, according to the governor. He implemented innovations like same-day registration, online pre-registration for 16- and 17-year-olds, and automatic voter registration, which is also known as California Motor Voter. Okay, also good, though I should note he just oversaw those things. He didn't actually, you know, adopt those things or fight for those things. He oversaw those laws that were passed. Uh, and there were, in fact, some problems with automatic voter registration. But one more here. He protected our elections, according to the governor. He oversaw the upgrades and replacement of voting systems in all 58 counties in the state to systems that meet California's newer, higher security standards. And, of course, that's where we begin to roam into fantasy land a bit, unfortunately. So let me uh, let me fill you in. So there's the governor singing his praises. Let me fill you in on some of the points that Governor Newsom did not mention in his announcement in praising Padilla. Uh, as I have been covering uh, the Secretary of State for some time on and off over the years at Bradblog.com, including before he became Secretary of State back when he was a uh, state senator. Uh, this is from a 2013 article of mine at Bradblog.com, headlined, California State Senator Still Misleading About Election Bill That Ends Federal Testing of E-Vote Systems. California State Senator Alex Padilla, again from September of 2013, continues to mislead the public about SB Senate Bill 360, his radical election reform bill passed recently by the state legislature along partisan lines and now waiting for a signature or a veto from Governor Jerry Brown. The bill, as we explained in a detailed expose, would end all federal testing of new electronic voting systems in the state of California. The use of only federally approved voting systems had long been a requirement in the state. Moreover, the measure would grant unprecedented sweeping executive powers to the secretary of state to approve new voting and tabulation systems for use in real elections without any certification testing at all, even by state auditors. Coincidentally, as I noted at the time, Padilla, the bill's sponsor, was also a leading 24 candidate. I'm sorry, 2014 candidate for secretary of state in California at the time, at the time that he had been passing 
this bill that would give the Secretary of State of California enormous new powers. Uh, as I noted in 2013, Padilla has been cynically selling this bill for many months as necessary in order for jurisdictions like Los Angeles County to own to own their own non-proprietary voting systems. Who, after all, as I noted at the time, other than private voting machine companies and or folks who like to use such systems to game elections would be against the idea that voting systems should be publicly owned by the jurisdictions which use them to run their own public elections. But that explanation does not really tell the full story. Los Angeles, as I reported, has been in the process of developing a new publicly owned 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system for some time, as I noted in 2013. But what Padilla did not mention to lawmakers or to the public while he was pitching this legislation is that Los Angeles already owns their own current voting system and has for many years. That's right. Padilla was out there saying we need to pass this bill because it's outrageous that, you know, these private companies have these uh, machines that the county can't look at. The county doesn't own, even while the largest county in California, Los Angeles County, actually owned its own voting system already. It did not need this bill that he was pitching under that uh, false premise. Padilla misleadingly announced, for example, on KSRO the day before the bill was finally approved uh, by both chambers uh, that he said, quote, I've introduced a piece of legislation that doesn't mandate but allows at the county level county governments to own their own voting systems. He cited L.A. County's development of their new system as the reason that counties should be able to own their own voting systems. But he failed to mention that L.A. already does own their own voting system. Since uh, SB 360's introduction uh, in February of 2013, Padilla had been quoted similarly and misleadingly in pretty much every story and press release that I had seen by his office touting that, quote, allowing counties to develop, own, and operate voting systems will increase voter confidence in the integrity of our elections. Well, that is true, but they already had that right because Los Angeles was exercising it. He said, at the time, a public voting system will be more transparent, instill public trust, and be more accountable than our current systems. So he said this in one press release after another as he was pushing this bill, I argued deceptively at the time. I had asked his office or him to explain why he kept repeating this misleading information, especially since they had asked me at one point to give my input on the actual bill itself, which I did. And then I went on to ask questions about why he was misleading about it, and they just never answered it. So I guess I was useful to them at some point, but until you were no longer useful to them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nowhere in any of his announcements or in his public advocacy for the bill, uh, I noted in 2013, uh, did he appear to explain that the legislation ends the longstanding requirement for federal testing and certification of all new voting and tabulation systems in California? 
or that the radical rewrite of the state election code would grant unprecedented sole power to the California Secretary of State. Remember, this was the office that he was then seeking and eventually won, would grant sole power only to the Secretary of State to approve voting systems for use in actual elections without even passing any testing, no need to pass state muster first, and neither did he explain as he was pushing that uh, bill that uh, L.A. County, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, uh, which is larger than 36 entire states, that, yes, we already own our own voting system. So that was just one example of why I have never trusted this guy. And then I found him to be just dishonest and uh, misrepresenting our elections and our election systems. And he was dangerously misrepresenta uh, uh, misrepresenting his uh uh, the the new certification system that would be put in place in California. And then, sadly, the sweeping election reform bill that he passed was eventually signed by then-Governor Jerry Brown. And as I had warned, the testing of that new $300-plus million unverifiable touchscreen voting system created here by L.A. County, manufactured by a company you may have heard of uh, lately, in uh, mostly totally inaccurate claims that were made by Team Trump regarding the 2020 election. That's a company named Smartmatic. Well, as I later reported at Bradblog.com and here on the broadcast, in January of this year, just before those new systems that I had been warning about back in 2013 and years earlier, those new systems were used here in Los Angeles uh, for the first time, and as they were being readied for use in January, after 10 years of in development, with, of course, zero testing at the federal level, remember? Because that's this bill did away with federal testing. That's what Padilla wanted. That's what he wanted. That's what he got. Well, Los Angeles County's new 100% unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking device voting systems were found, as I uh, reported in January of this year, found by the Secretary of State's independent testers to have failed more than 40 state requirements of the California voting system standards. We called on Secretary of State Alex Padilla to deny certification of those horrific voting systems and to require instead a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system for all voters in the nation's largest voting jurisdiction at the time. That call was similarly made by many others. After I broke the story about more than 40 failures, I appeared on the local CBS uh, news affiliate out here at the time. But that call was ignored, and Padilla went ahead. He certified the systems for use anyway, and what do you know? They failed miserably on Election Day, Primary election day, March 3rd, in the Super Tuesday primaries, it led to hours-long lines, people trying to vote until all hours of the night. I think the last vote was cast around 1 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And then when the pandemic hit, those machines, incredibly expensive machines, they were 100% unverifiable. They were essentially replaced anyway with hand-marked paper, uh, paper ballots, mail-in ballots that were sent automatically to all voters in both L.A. County and across the state. So Padilla's reward for doing such a fantastic job 
Secretary of State is that he has now been named to be California's new U.S. Senator to replace Vice President-elect Kamala Harris in the U.S. Senate for the next two years until her current term uh, would have expired at uh, in uh, 2022. Now, I was initially troubled by this when I heard that Padilla would be uh, likely replacing Kamala Harris over the past few weeks. That said, as I've had time to consider it a bit more, it could be worse. Yes, <laughs> I, I would have rather seen Barbara Lee or Karen Bass or Katie Porter uh, named to the Senate, but that avenue was foreclosed because of the narrow Democratic House majority. And while I'm sure there are better people that Newsom could have found for this U.S. Senate seat, Padilla, at least, I guess, will be a reliable Democratic vote in the U.S. Senate, which is what will be needed as much as anything right now with a very narrow majority or minority in the upper chamber, depending on what happens in Georgia on uh, January 5. But more to the point, as I have thought about this, I think that he can do less damage in the U.S. Senate uh, than he can do as Secretary of State <laughs> back here at home. So this means that Newsom will be appointing someone to take Padilla's place uh, in that role. And maybe, just maybe, we can get someone who is not as terrible at the job as Padilla was. Of course, I would love to see Padilla's successor. successor. Predece- no, no, prede- who comes before him? That's the predecessor. predecessor. Right. I'd love to see uh, her, Deborah Bowen back in the job. She was a fantastic Secretary of State, but among other problems, uh, she was termed out, and I'm not sure she'd be able to take that seat even if she was appointed. I haven't spoken with her in a number of years. Uh, I did drop her an email today to try to get her thoughts on that uh, and to see if she'd even be eligible. We'll see if I hear anything back from her that I can share with you. But but now uh, the more important question, I think, is who is going to replace Padilla in the Secretary of State's office? And uh, might we see an improvement over Padilla there? I am hoping so. See how I am making lemonade out of lemons? There you go. Yes, indeed. But, of course, uncertainty cuts both ways. So it could be a better person. It could be a worse person. But I will say I agree with you that uh, I believe Padilla will be a reliable Democratic vote in the Senate for the next two years until the next election to replace him. Unlike uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Mm, who is not a reliable Democratic vote. So so at least there's that when it comes to things that really need to pass. There you go. So there's that. And now we just have to see what happens uh, for the secretary of state's office and who's going to be appointed and or I guess who's going to run to fill the role in 2022. I wonder what the weather in Sacramento is like this time of year, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Just saying. Uh-huh. Just saying. All right, let's take a quick break and we will come back with, uh, oh, some news about a real election uh, whose results you should be very concerned about. And it's not Donald Trump's. That story is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with Iowa Stubborn from The Music Man. <laughs> Anytime I could play that song, I'm happy to do so. Oh, look here. An actual election challenge, Desi Doyen. Oh, yeah. A real one instead of the fake one that's been ginned up by sore loser Donald Trump and one worthy of your notice. This from AP today. Iowa's Democratic former state senator... And 2020 U.S. House candidate for the state's 2nd Congressional District, Rita Hart, asked the U.S. House on Tuesday to investigate and overturn the race that Iowa says she lost by just six votes in November. That out of almost 400,000 votes cast. She argues that 22 ballots at least were wrongly excluded from the tallies and uh, and others weren't examined during the state recount. In a notice of contest filed today with the U.S. House, Hart argued that she would have netted 15 votes and defeated Republican Marionette. Yeah, that's her name. Marionette Miller Meeks had those 22 ballots been tallied in Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. Her filing asked the Democratic-led House to nullify the state-certified results, to count the excluded ballots, and conduct a uniform hand count, a uniform hand count in the district's 24 counties. She expressed confidence that she will be the winner After that process. Now, there was indeed a recount of this election that was conducted uh, in all of those counties where they all use hand marked paper ballots. So that's good. So we can know that the ballots that we are looking at actually reflect the intent of the voter. However, under Iowa law, some counties chose to do a manual hand count of those hand marked paper ballots. That would be the gold standard for counting ballots in this country, while other counties use the same computer optical scan machines that counted them the first time to tally them a second time in the recount, either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows, unless you actually bother to hand count them. In one case, for example, in Scott County, the machine counts were reportedly off by 131 votes from their initial count for some unknown reason that they never bothered to figure out. And with that count in Scott County, Hart picked up votes. Uh, But the Scott County Board of Elections refused to do a second count, uh, even though Miller Meeks had requested it. Now, Hart's lawyer, Mark Elias, a big Democratic, uh, very successful. He's the one who's uh, overseen about 60 uh, court victories for Democrats as Donald Trump has been challenging the election. Mark Elias uh, wrote in his 176-page filing with the U.S. House, quote, Although it is admittedly tempting to close the curtain on the 2020 election cycle, prematurely ending this contest would disenfranchise Iowa voters and award the congressional seat to the candidate who received fewer lawful votes. 
Elias called it an exceptionally unlikely scenario for a candidate to be able to identify specific wrongly rejected ballots that could change an election's outcome. But Miller Meeks and other Republicans accused Hart of seeking to be installed through a partisan power grab after losing a close election involving nearly 400,000 voters. Miller Meeks, uh, who now has 30 days to respond to Hart's filing in the House, said uh, Senator Hart now wants a process run by one Californian, Nancy Pelosi, and decided in Washington's hyperpartisan, dysfunctional atmosphere and not according to Iowa law. Now, that's not entirely true. What? It's a little true, but it's not entirely true. It's a bit misleading. The process would ultimately be determined in the bipartisan U.S. House Administration Committee. But yes, Democrats do have a uh, will have a slim majority on that committee in the new Congress. But as I understand it, the, the vote here, if they vote to confirm a winner one way or another in this race, uh, they would be confirming a hand count of all of the ballots which Hart is calling for to be carried out by the nonpartisan governmental accountability office. Hopefully that would be a transparent hand count that everybody could oversee, the public could oversee, so that we could know the results are correct. And in a race with this many ballots, 400,000 and just a six-vote margin, that hardly seems too much to ask. Iowa's uh, canvassing board certified Miller Meeks as the winner, she's the Republican, um, by a margin of 196,964 to 146,964. Hart announced this month that she was not going to challenge the outcome in Iowa's courts, saying that state law, had she taken that route, would have required a contest to be decided within days. And as the Des Moines uh, 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 Register notes, Iowa Code requires that the contest court that is set up in such a case would have to have been formed and the recount launched, ex uh, executed, and concluded by December 8, with nearly 400,000 votes cast, the register notes, the five judges of that contest court and the campaigns would have faced a monumental task, if not an impossible one, to organize and carry out a credible investigation. At least uh, that's what Hart argued, uh, that the process did not allow for adequate time to examine thousands and thousands of ballots. Instead, she filed with the U.S. House under a 1969 law called the Federal Contested Elections Act, which will now trigger an investigation by the House Administration Committee that could go on for months. In order to prevail, Hart must show a, by a preponderance of evidence that she, in fact, got the most votes. 
That's how this works. Uh, the House is able to decide who ultimately uh, fills their seat. And you can challenge, we've seen this before, other elections that are challenged under the Federal Contested Elections Act. They are not often successful, but that's the way the process works. Republicans, of course, are outraged about this. Even though, I should point out, over the years we have seen special elections where just days after the election has been held, when the Republicans were in charge of the majority in the U.S. House, they've immediately flown the candidate out there. If it's a Republican candidate, flown them out, swore them in, got them in before even all the votes were counted, much less certified. Because they can. So to say now they're outraged about this after there has been a full, albeit terrible, recount Anyway, uh, they are angry about this. Uh, they're saying she's bypassing a review that they, she, she should have gone to the Iowa courts instead. Hart has argued that every legal vote must be counted in a race so close, and she called for a fair review in the House. It's not clear whether the House will allow Miller Meeks to take office on January 3 or not. Uh, if she is sworn in, however, the House could still later declare Hart to be the winner. Uh, according to a 2010 report, by the Congressional Research Service, the House has reviewed 170 such contested elections between 1933 and 2009, and they have seated the candidate that the state had certified as the winner in almost all of those cases. The report says that the House declared the challenger to be the winner only in, well, in at least three cases, most recently back in 1984, the only closer House election in recent memory. That was an Indiana race in which uh, majority Democrats overturned the state outcome and ruled that incumbent Democrat Frank McCloskey won that year by just four votes. And I got to tell you, in my years of covering elections, I have seen Republicans even today refer back to that 1984 election, hmm. which they believe Democrats in the U.S. House stole for, uh, from them. So memories run long, at least on certain issues in the U.S. House. Now, the filing that Hart makes here it has broken down. Well, Mark Elias ha has it broken down. You can uh, look at some of the details at democracydocket.com. But just to summarize here, uh, there were 11 ballots that were not counted because of mistakes by poll workers, including nine ballots discovered during the recount in Marion County and two curbside votes that weren't put into a tabulation machine in Scott County. Now, election officials agree that those were valid votes. However, under Iowa law, they cannot be considered during the recount because they were not included in the initial canvas. So Hart would have picked up seven votes and Miller Meeks would have picked up three from that uh, from that group of 11. If those election clerks had not made a mistake. Had made a mistake. So and if through the no law, fault yeah. of the voter, right. their votes are not going to get counted because somebody else made an error. Somebody made an error. Errors happen all the right. time. But because of the way the uh, Iowa law is set up. Gosh, I wonder why it's set up that way. They're not allowed to include those votes. If they included those votes alone, it would be a two-vote margin. In addition, Hart outlines 11 other ballots that were wrongly excluded from voters who supported her, including absentee ballots that were rejected because return envelopes they claim were not sealed properly 
or were resealed using tape because uh, some uh, there was a couple of voters said they received their ballots, but it was already the envelope was already sealed. So to send it back in the envelope, they had to open it and then tape it shut. Those votes were not included. One envelope was ripped. Another was signed, but not on the signature line. In all of these cases, they've taken affidavits from these voters and the voters supported Hart. So Hart would have easily won this race if all legal votes were counted. You know, the thing that Donald Trump and Republicans are pretending to call for in their pretend challenge to the presidential election results in just a few states where they're opportunistically uh, trying to challenge the results, where Biden won, Trump lost, and so he's pretending that he won in a landslide. Hart also argues that the recount was unconstitutional because each county used a different method to count. They either used machine or they used hand or they used some combination of counting. And, of course, that is something you'll recall that uh, Republicans used to agree with that it was, you know, you couldn't have different counting standards in different counties. At least that was the argument they made when they went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court back in 2000 to prevent the counting of ballots in the 2000 Florida presidential election, claiming, among other things, that the different counting methods uh, used for recounts in the various counties was unconstitutional. And they were able to get the court to agree with them then. But, you know, just as Republicans did not seem to mind this year when Donald Trump cherry picked just two counties, the most Democratic leaning counties, to recount in Wisconsin this year after uh, they had claimed back in 2000 that Al Gore was trying to steal the election in Florida when he asked for recounts in just certain counties. Well, you know, Republicans don't have a very long memory. Or maybe they're just opportunistic partisan hypocrites and liars. Take your pick. So there was also, by the way, 97 ballots that were marked by machines as overvotes, meaning the machine believes that the voter selected more than one candidate that were not visually inspected for intent during the recount, according to the filing. For example, if you had a ballot where one oval in every single race was filled in nice and neatly, but in the second district U.S. House race, there were two ovals filled in, but one was X'd out to suggest that the voter made a mistake and changed her vote and that the correctly filled in oval should be counted instead. They never looked at those ballots those potential overvotes to see if, in fact, there was a clear record of the voter intent. In that case, you know, where you had two filled out, but one was X'd out, the machine would simply see that as an overvote. That should then be examined by a bipartisan team publicly to determine if they can figure out voter intent. So there are 97 ballots like that in this race that were not examined by humans in a race that has been certified by just a six vote margin. That is insane. In addition, <clears throat> thousands of ballots are marked as undervotes in which voters didn't pick any candidate in the race. Not unusual for there to be undervotes, but those votes were also not reviewed. And as we know, that is insane as well, given the 
optical scan computers that often miss marks like check marks or X's or something that don't that are not seen by the computer uh, uh, scanners. Again, that is why hand marked, hand counted paper ballots are democracy's gold standard. We'll keep our eye on that story. Uh, though it's probably going to be a number of months uh, before it all gets figured out at this point. Uh, but speaking of opportunistic partisan hypocrites and liars, <laughs> we've been uh, reporting of late on uh, on the legal defamation threat letters that were sent by two voting machine companies, Smartmatic and Dominion, uh, demanding retractions and threatening lawsuits against Team Trump and their MAGA mob right-wing propaganda TV outlets last week, Smartmatic, which has no voting system uh, equipment anywhere in the U.S. other than here in Los Angeles, as I talked about in the previous segment. Uh, Smartmatic sent a letter to Fox News, to Newsmax TV and One American News, these right-wing outlets demanding that they retract claims that they've been airing. Based on Team Trump BS, uh, you know, from the Trump attorneys, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, claiming that Smartmatic software somehow flipped results from Trump to Biden in several swing states, states where Smartmatic has no voting systems or software at all. And all of this was part of an international conspiracy with Venezuela and its dead former president, Hugo Chavez. Also, China is involved. And also very bonkers. And Cuba and Clinton Foundation and George Soros. They're all in cahoots somehow with their competitor, Dominion Voting System, which, themselves, which they have also subsequently sent a similar defamation legal threat to Sidney Powell, demanding a retraction for her baseless claims. Well, the claims about Smartmatic's ties to Venezuela and Chavez come from a bastardized, wholly inaccurate reimagining of, uh, of some of my investigative reporting on Smartmatic and Dominion from 10 years ago. So as uncomfortable as been, I, I have sort of come to the defense here of, of some of these private voting machine companies who should not be involved in our public elections at all. But I have felt some responsibility to set the record straight and to point out that the claims being made by Powell and Giuliani and Trump and the right wing media outlets are all stuff and evidence free nonsense, not what I reported at all. Smartmatic has hired one of the nation's most successful media defamation attorneys, and it is freaking out Fox News. We noted that at the end of yesterday's show. I played a bizarre three-minute segment that they have been airing on the Lou Dobbs show, as well as Janine uh, Pyro's Piro's show, Marie Bartiromo's show. Uh, they've been playing this over the weekend. Uh, it features Eddie Perez. He's been a guest on this show several times, including just a few weeks ago. Uh, he's from the Open Source Election Technology Institute, answering and rebutting questions uh, from an off-camera disembodied voice, essentially rebutting all of the claims that Fox hosts have been making about Smartmatic and Dominion on their shows. I'm not going to play that segment again. I played it at the end of yesterday's show. Um, it was bizarre, to say the least. Ben Smith over at the New York Times called it the three strangest minutes, uh, the strangest three minute segment I've ever seen. And Lou Dobbs gave this strange intro to it and then played the segment and then they went straight to commercial. Never came back, never mentioned it again. That was done on some of these other shows as well. Well, now 
apparently, Newsmax, which uh, said that they didn't do anything wrong previously. They said uh, in an emailed statement to New York Times that they have, quote, never made a claim of impropriety about Smartmatic, its ownership or software, and that the uh, company was merely providing, quote, a forum for public concerns and discussions. That's all they were doing. Well, by Monday, apparently, Newsmax now also seems to be freaked out. Uh, They've had a change of heart. They ran their own similarly bizarre segment, though it was a bit more of a, 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 a direct retraction of claims that have been made on their cable outlet. According to Business Insider last night, the right wing news outlet Newsmax on Monday broadcast a lengthy statement to, quote, clarify false and baseless claims made on its platform about two vote processing companies, Smartmatic and Dominion Voting Systems, and the 2020 election, and also posted the same statement on their website, conceding they have, quote, no evidence to back up certain election fraud claims. Here's what Newsmax aired on Monday, after which its CEO, Chris Ruddy, a close ally of Donald Trump, told a reporter that the clarification segment would run across all of their shows. Since election day, uh, various guests, attorneys, and elected officials have appeared on Newsmax and offered opinions and claims about Smartmatic and Dominion Systems, both companies that offer voting software in the U.S. And uh, Newsmax would like to clarify its news coverage and note (laughs) that it has not reported as true certain claims made about these companies. There are several facts our viewers and readers should be aware of. Newsmax has found no evidence that either Dominion or Smartmatic owns the other or has any business association with each other. We have no evidence that Dominion uses Smartmatic software or vice versa. No evidence has been offered that Dominion or Smartmatic use software or reprogram software that manipulated votes in the 2020 election. Smartmatic has stated that its software was only used in the 2020 election in Los Angeles was not used in any battleground state contested by the Trump campaign. Newsmax has no evidence to the contrary. Dominion has stated the company has no ownership relationship with the Pelosi family, the Feinstein family, the Clinton family, Hugo <laughs> Chavez, or the government of Venezuela. All right, Neither so you, you get the idea. It goes on for a while there. They are really freaking out. They're concerned, and they should be. Because the guy who was threatening them uh, recently won a huge media defamation case. Uh, So they are running scared. And if you don't think they're freaked out by it, let me just play this clip from a Newsmax uh, show hosted by uh, former Trump administration clown Sebastian Gorka, uh, who was featuring the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, on his show. And this happened. Mike Lindell, why are you fighting the legal battle for election transparency. You're Mr. My Pillow. What's going on? Well, I believe in this president, but and I'll tell you what, it, it, nobody realizes, I mean, what a miracle we had on election night at 11:15. You know, you talked about all this fraud, doctor, the 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 biggest fraud is the Dominion machines and at 11:15 on election night our great president, Next because of Mike, Mike, I, don't, I don't want to discuss, Mike, Mike, we're not, we're not going to get no. into the minutiae no. of the details. I want to no. ask you, because this show is about courage. Yes, no, <laughs> don't talk about Dominion. Don't mention their names. Don't mention Smartmatic. 
Don't talk about that, Mike. Let's talk about your great pillows that you pay to advertise on our crappy fake news station. They are freaking out on the right, and well, they should. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen in the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, look, it's our uh, final Green News report. Of the year. Of the year. And just to make it like all of the others, I'm running late. So (laughs) let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Our climate crisis is not a partisan issue. And it is not a hoax. Biden-Harris administration makes history in introducing their full climate team. Congressional COVID relief package includes climate and clean energy legislation. Plus, Trump administration ends the tyranny of efficient showerheads. Oh, thank God. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So showerheads, you take a shower, the water doesn't come out. So what do you do? You just stand there longer or you take a shower longer? Because my hair, I don't know about you, but it has to be perfect. Have you tried turning the water on, sir? Just asking. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, there aren't all that many days left in the Trump administration, though I know it seems like forever. Nonetheless, in those days, he can still do a lot of damage. Oh, indeed. The Trump administration is racing the red light in its final weeks, rushing to approve a final wave of large-scale mining and fossil fuel projects on public lands. Projects pushed by investors hoping to lock in big extraction projects even after President-elect Joe Biden takes office. The Trump Energy Department also rolled back water efficiency standards for major appliances and showerheads that Donald Trump complained weren't sufficient for his hairdo. You know, I just have this idea in my head that this entire presidency has been about Donald Trump wanting to change the low flow shower heads and toilets in his buildings. Well, he has finally ended their reign of terror. Success! These rollbacks will force consumers to pay more to waste water and energy. Now, the Biden administration can undo some of these rollbacks, but it will take time. Georgia voters have a say, though, but only if they vote for both Democratic candidates to win the U.S. Senate runoff races on January 5th. If Democrats control both the Senate and the House, they can invoke the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to strike down such last-minute regulations. Allows them to strike down everything within the last six months of a presidency, no? Pretty much. Wow. The bipartisan COVID economic relief package passed by Congress on Monday reportedly includes significant clean energy and climate provisions, the first such legislation to pass Congress in nearly a decade. Included are provisions to phase down 
down use of chemicals used in air conditioners and refrigerators called HFCs that are potent greenhouse gases and includes measures to boost development and construction of clean energy projects. Meanwhile, over the weekend, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris introduced members of their climate and energy team, leading the administration's plans to address climate change. If confirmed by the Senate, the climate team will mobilize to implement Biden's proposal to achieve net zero emissions economy-wide by 2050 and a carbon-free electric grid by 2030. Yeah, but what's he going to do about showerheads? Folks, we're in a crisis. Just like we need to be a unified nation in response to COVID-19, we need a unified national response to climate change. We need to meet the moment with the urgency it demands, as we would during any national emergency. Biden previously announced that former Secretary of State John Kerry will direct international climate policy. Former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy will coordinate domestic climate policy. Environmental protection is part of my moral fiber. It's what I live for. Biden also broke new ground in two of the most crucial cabinet positions. Both will put environmental justice front and center. Biden tapped Michael Regan, North Carolina's state environmental chief, to rebuild the Environmental Protection Agency and will be the first African-American to run the agency. Together, this team will ensure that environmental justice and human impacts are top of mind as we tackle these tough issues. We need an all-hands-on-deck approach from industry to individuals. I do not envy that guy having to clean up at the EPA. Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico will lead the Interior Department, and if confirmed by the Senate, she would become the first-ever Indigenous Cabinet Secretary. As our country faces the impacts of climate change and environmental injustice, The Interior Department has a role to address these challenges. The president-elect's goals, driven by justice and empowering communities who have shouldered the burdens of environmental negligence. And we will ensure that the decisions at Interior will once again be driven by science. Very cool that there will be a Native American heading up the Interior Department Finally, oh yes, I don't envy her having to clean up that mess either. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Keep us in mind for your end-of-year giving. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to you. We'll be off for the holidays for a bit. We will see you in the new year. Until then, you can find and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Icicles on East Tross and tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me. <laughs> well, that may be, be the last Green News Report of the year. Yeah. But we're not done with Bradcast just yet. Nope. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who have kept us on the air all of these years uh, with your support at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for that uh, and for keeping us in mind for your end-of-year giving. If you can drop me an email if you like, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. 
Good luck, world. Stockings on the mantle, snow's here every day, but it's a green Christmas anyway. Red nose on the reindeer, tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me.